Virtual Coffee Chats, brought to you by Omni HR Consulting. Thank you so much for joining us. So if I can then just take the opportunity to very quickly introduce you to our panelists tonight. So we have um, Lister. So Lister Sung Wong Wei Hua. And she's going to forgive me because I've practiced it all day today and I just struggle. So she did say she'll forgive me though. So Lister is a qualified and experienced transformational uh, professional. She's worked in the industry for the past 10 years, holding various senior positions, um, including technical signatory, verification manager, triple B, double E, quality and review manager, senior ratings analyst, as well as transformation strategy developer. So Lister is well-versed on the codes, including implementation, consumer education and change management as it pertains to transformational action plans. So thank you, Lister. We look forward to you being our compliance guru this evening um, on the subject. So thank you. Then we have um, Tuli. So Tuli Maslu Shana. And Tuli joins us. She is in learning and development at an organization called Matus. And Tuli has nine years experience in the field of HR with her speciality being in industrial relations, recruitment and training. So Tuli is passionate and driven by everything that's related to skills development, having graduated from Varsity College and being a certified skills development facilitator within the learning and development space. So thank you Tuli for joining us tonight. And then last but not least, um, we have Brendan Richards. And Brendan is a human resource and skills development consultant. So Brendan is an experienced resourcing consultant with a keen focus on employment relations, employee benefits, learning and development and supply chain, and is instrumental in creating solutions for organizations to achieve their desired outcomes. Brendan um, works with credible affiliate partners to support both human capital and skills development objectives of multiple organizations. So thank you, Brendan, for joining us. And then I'll be your host tonight in the attempt to direct this conversation that, and, and debate that we'll be, we'll be having. And I am the operations executive for Omni HR Consulting. Um, and I spend a great deal of my time engaging with clients through business consulting and determining how best we can put together skills development solutions to meet the needs of the learner, but also to meet the needs of the organization at large. Okay. So I'm going to then just share with you um, our agenda. Tonight, we're going to look at the lens through which our panelists look at skills development and learning with specific context to, to their industries and, and where they speak from tonight. Then we're going to look at some of the governing principles. So tonight, you know, we're talking about skills development and how that is reframed with regards to the collaboration with triple B double E. And so tonight we're going to look at what are those governing principles um, that drive those two acts that were promulgated. And then we'll look at some of the barriers and challenges to achieving the, the legislation. Um, but most importantly, we'll look at some of the opportunities and we'll take the time there to have a look at a practical activity of how do we get the best out of those two um, acts and how do we ensure that we are effectively living out and achieving those governing principles of those two acts. Okay, so to kick us off tonight, I'm going to ask Brendan Tooley to, to start for us and I'm going to look to you, Brendan, to kick off for us tonight. 
So share with us, what is the lens through which you look at skills development or learning and development? What is your spectrum in terms of contextually for your environment? Okay, hi Cindy. Um, simply put, from my side, it's the upskilling of previously disadvantaged individuals within organizations in order for them to be able to compete equally within the, the work environment, as well as for them to be able to function with the management roles in the future that were previously not accessible to. Sadly, absolutely perfect. Thank you, Brendan. Tuli, I'm sure you've got something to add from your context of learning and development within business. Um, for me, Cindy, I'd definitely say um, skills development is development of an individual, be it for a specific um, role that they play within an organization, as well as self-development um, as an individual holistically. Um, so for me, it goes over and above just the organization itself, but also the development of a human being. Lovely. Thank you so much. Okay, so, so Lister, as our um, expert here tonight with regards to triple B, double E, maybe you can share with us then, what is the underlying governing principles when it comes to the impl um, implementation of the triple B, double E Act? Uh, thank you, Cindy. So like the Triple BE Act or the policy really uh, gets its mandate from the Constitution. It, it seeks to um, redress all the past imbalances. It focuses on, on equality and driving um, economic development by having the majority of the population participating like in terms of ownership of um, Key, key sector, sectorial assets. Um, it, it really focuses on Lake people, the majority of the population um, having seats in, in boards and, and managing and controlling how businesses are run or how the economy should, should um, go. It, it also focuses um, on how the majority of the population can have access to skills. It's things that the majority of uh, South Africans were restricted um, access to in, in the previous apartheid government. So it's really an all-inclusive or encompassing policy that seeks to have black people, African colors and Indians, being brought into the mainstream economy and, and participating fully. If they get uh, trained or get skills development, um, then they actually get to get jobs, which means they can get a salary, which means they can focus on their social issues like poverty gets um, re reducted. So it's really a lot that we can talk about, but in summary, it's, it, it's a policy that seeks to bring equality and have the majority of South Africans participating in the mainstream economy. Lovely, excellent. So Lister, thank you. That's such a nice, um spot on definition that really just looks at redress, economic development, equality, transformation. I love those sort of four big words that jump out at us. So Tuli, maybe you can then share with us, so what is the Skills Development Act and what is the governing principles that really is the core when it comes to the Skills Development Act? I'd mostly say that the Skills Development Act um it's to, it, it aims to expand um, the knowledge and the competencies of the labor force. 
It helps to improve the order um, as well as the productivity of the organization and its in individuals, um, as well as the employment holistically. More especially, it is it's to develop the current skills within in the employment sector within our in our country, um, as well as assist in identifying um, gaps within um, organizations. Okay, lovely. Okay, so you spoke about developing of skills. You spoke about the investment within education um, and training around improving the quality of learning and what does that mean from a prospect of individuals growing from a career progression. So if I look at the governing principles that both Tulia and Lister have now noted, they start sounding very much the same for me. So you're speaking from two potentially different lenses when it comes to skills development from a Skills Development Act, but from a broad-based Black economic empowerment, but they start sounding very much the same. So would you agree with me then that, sure, the governing principles of both those acts really are trying to achieve the same objective? Would you agree with me on that? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, if I could just um, add on that, when transformation, tr the Triple B Act obviously has got a a skills development um, element to it and within the triple b e framework we recognize that um, the skills development act is the primary piece of legislation so even if it's it's ring fenced in a certain way to elevate um certain classes in this case black people being um training uh, being focus driven for black people it also recognizes that it needs to be done in line with the objectives of the Skills Development Act because the Skills Development Act is the one that really tells us how this can be better done. Those are the specialists and you cannot um, separate them. The moment you start separating Skills Development Element from the Skills Development Act, already these issues that you are bringing out there. Most definitely. And Lister, just to add um, on that point, um, you're rightfully saying, uh, you're right by saying that um, Skills Development Act is obviously the guide in which the element is guided or the element um, is produced out of. Um, and a lot of people tend to sort of misdirect or uh, um, use the two separately, of which it should be used or looked at hand in hand because it does definitely complement one another. Lovely. So I think, Tuli, in some of our conversations, you noted that the Skills Development Act was very much around the doing. It really yeah. helped us to say what are the fundamental principles of things that we should be doing to ensure that we are delivering on the skills development mandate that we have from a learning and development perspective. Yeah. Um, and Lister, you also noted that it really was around the triple BWE being the measurement at which we can actually sit back and go, you know, are we achieving the things that was very specifically mandated for us to achieve? And can we measure ourselves against the steps that we're taking as organizations to ensure that we're delivering on those skills development initiatives? Lovely. So thank you ladies both for defining it for us because I think what really happens is we, we sometimes have a little bit of a push and a play around potentially maybe which one's more important or which one do we focus on 
which one should get our attention, which one should we listen to. But fundamentally, they should not be in debate with one another. In fact, they work together and they actually create quite a good relationship in terms of collaboration and achieving the overall objectives. So I guess the question we then ask ourselves is if we're in an alignment to those governing principles being the same, why then do we have the barriers and the challenges that we have when it comes to aligning these, these two acts and these two pieces of, of legislation? And Brendan, maybe you can start for us and share with us what is it from your experience is some of the barriers and challenges that you experience when engaging with organizations through consulting? Well, Cindy, you know, one of the issues that seems to rear its head quite often, and I'm open to correction from people within the L&D and HR space, but often it's the case where HR and L&D teams are involved in a bit of a tug of war over budgets for skills development interventions. Uh, and this is probably because these interventions are seen not to offer tangible benefits for an organization or simply do not align with an organization's goals. Uh, added to that, we also find ourselves in South Africa with multinational organizations operating here. And they come in with, into our country and they seem to grapple with the legislation but be not high on the agenda. Uh, for them, having invested in their operations in our country, they simply seek a return on investment. They don't need everything else that goes with it. Lovely. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, so I think the, the tug of war, I think, comes out um, quite clearly. And the whole tangible benefits, so just maybe talk to us a little bit around what do we mean by tangible benefits? Sorry, is that me again? development. Yes, yeah. I just want you to focus a little bit on that one. You talk about the tangible benefits of skills development. Maybe you can well, just explain a little bit on that one. When I look at it, if, if we talk about a skills development intervention, it needs to be purposeful and relevant to the needs of a business. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if we use learnerships as an example, learnerships cannot be run solely to impact the BE scorecard. Learnerships need to have measurables in place that are, are able to show a tangible impact on both the organizational requirements as well as the socio-economic issues. So in terms of organizational requirements, as a business, where are we going? What are our needs? Uh, why, do I, why do I have these people on, on, on these, these skills development programs? What does this mean to me? Is it because I have a goal in place and I need this workforce down the road? Or is it because I'm just doing it to shall we say, cover my, my score requirements on my scorecard. That's the way I often have an engagement or, or, or query people's interventions, if I could say it. Lovely. Perfect. Thanks, Brendan. Love that. So really, it's around purpose relevant and alignment of needs. Fabulous. Tuli, I'm sure that you have um, or grapple with your own challenges being internal in the business. So what are some of the things from an internal business perspective that you struggle with? I think um, not only from my organization, but I mm. think mo most organizations battle to identify where these skills gaps are. And you cannot have a plan if you have not identified where your, your, your weak legs or your weak pillars are within learning and development and majority of the time that comes into play when you have to look at um, 
job profiles or role profiles um, and assisting those in having um, job analysis. Your job analysis is then going to be able to distinguish whether or not you can use different learning interventions to fill um, the gaps that have identified within that. So most people will then have long-term goals by saying, futuristically in a year's time in two years time this is how we would like to groom this individual this is what we would like to assist this individual um, in any learning intervention and the aim is for them to obviously fill the void or fill the gap um, and in, in with this with this particular with this particular learn, learning intervention so with 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 our organization it, it became a lot more simpler for me once I understood the production um, as well as the general dealings of the organization in order for me to then identify to say this is where I have got a skills shortage and this is where my current skills are and in better identify which learning interventions to bring on board in order to um, to fill those gaps. Lovely. Thanks, Julie. Um, perfect. So, so again, it talks a lot to identifying skills gaps and looking at the bigger picture when it comes to skills development and what it is that an organization wants to achieve. So I'm just picking up on some of the, um, the comments, if I may, that are just coming through. <clears throat> And, and things like um, one must consider the critical strategic objectives when it comes to transformation and developing a sustainable future, uh, future-proof workforce. So it talks very much to what Tuli and Brendan were saying around ensuring that it's not just in the moment, but there is some strategic and, and some future focus around how we developing individuals. So, so Lister, maybe you can sort of share with us and give your voice what are some of the challenges that you experience organizations having when it comes to the the misalignment so i mean the the, the different comments that you've uh, picked up already um show what what the key um challenges are so so i will emphasize again and again that transformation seeks to have uh, black people being skilled, that is the majority of, of, of the workforce being being skilled. So it, it definitely wants impact uh, driven mm -hmm. skills development. So the two policies of the two acts should really work together. So I think the key challenge is where you've got a transformation um, department or a transformation manager that does not work with the skills development um, team. Or, or where you've got the skills development team doing their own strategy and the transformation team looking at the numbers and, 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 and probably putting together their own strategy. So you cannot have those two not working together. So the moment you have two different parties that are supposed to solve for the same thing, not working together, chances are they will, they will, they will likely not come up with the most ideal solution. So for me, the challenge is heavy. The, the main um, problem that needs to be solved by all organizations is that whoever has got the seat at the board, be it it's the skills development team or it's the transformation manager, they, they should first of all align on the needs and expectations of the company and how it needs to be strategic. It can't be points driven. 
So you are using one budget, but use it wisely as long as you communicate between the skills team and the transformation team, whoever goes to the board to ask for the budget, ultimately you're going to solve the same thing. So the, the key challenge is that those teams normally don't work together and ultimately they don't, they don't get the desired impact between their skills um, initiatives. Lovely, great. Okay, so you've made a couple of points there. So one is was around strategic um, and not just points driven, which links back again to the tick box activity. Um, but also you made a comment there with regards to who has the voice and who is able to actually communicate the, the strategy. So compile the strategies and put the strategies together, um, but they need to be speaking with one voice. So the question we sort of ask ourselves then is who should have a seat around the boardroom table? Tuni, maybe you want to start for us. Who do you think should have a seat around the boardroom table to ensure that we're able to have this voice? Definitely the seat at the boardroom table for me should be transformation guys as well as the um, human resource management. Because in essence, the two talk to one another. It is a, it's, it's a how um, and it's, it's also a, a benefit. So talking to the two departments, talking to one another, solve um, exactly that they solve the same problem because you have the HR management team who have the strategy in terms of underlining factors such as succession planning that come into play where as the transformation guys then come in and say yes but I need uh, to to have X Y and Z in order to become compliant within the skills development element so them talking to one another and them collaborating in terms of views of uh, continuation within the company as well as views in terms of how can we maintain um, our skills development element they then obviously increase the productivity of of of, of the organization lovely couldn't agree more uh, Brendan, any any further thoughts on that comments? Yeah, I do actually have thoughts on that. Um, when we talk about the seat at the table, it's quite an important point because I'm of the firm belief that our HR people are underestimated, sincerely. We forget that these are highly skilled individuals, these are people that are learned. Uh, and more importantly, they manage the human relationship of our business. Now, I think it's imperative that between the HR team and the L&D team, more responsibility is account and accountability is given to them to work within the framework of that wonderful word transformation. I grapple with the fact that we, we have to employ a transformation manager in an organization where you've got managers capable in an organization to fulfill that role. The act is there, uh, people can understand, they can learn it, and they can apply it. So having too many people sit at a boardroom table discussing how to fix things necessarily is not the right way, I think. I think it's important for HR people to be sitting there, adding their five cents and running with, with, with the project. But importantly, when they sit and plan these things that they look at it from a strategic and I uh, emphasize strategic point of view from a business perspective because yeah. when you run a business you need to be profitable and we cannot walk away from that very important point because without profits we don't have businesses and without businesses we don't have jobs. Lovely. 
Okay. So, Brendan, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think Lister laughed there a little bit, and I'm pretty sure Lister <laughs> would naturally go and say we definitely need to have a transformational manager or executive around the boardroom table. And I think it's natural because Lister will naturally want a voice at that boardroom table. Yes. <laughs> Lister, but, but no. yes. Uh, can, can I just ask a question? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, can I just say then, if we're going to have a transformation person, why can't that transformation person either be your procurement manager, your HR manager, or your finance manager? Why does it have to be someone especially employed to do transformation? I don't see the reasoning behind that. You're bringing in someone else from you out of your organization to fix the organization that people have been functioning all this time. It doesn't make sense. Sorry, that's right. my opinion. No, but that's fine. Lister, I'm sure is going to just give us her opinion yeah. um, very quickly around her perception of why that role is so critical. I mean, I, I was edgy um, to actually answer this part because, um, like I said at, at the beginning, transformation is broad-based. It's an inclusive policy. It talks to ownership. It talks to socio-economic development. It talks to procurement. So you can't I mean, with all due respect to the HR profession, but you can't expect that um, one profession can manage all of that. And the transformation manager should have a holistic um, view to it. I don't want to say a transformation manager is a coordinator, but using the word loosely, they should have an overview of the business strategy, where the business wants to go, and the most important thing is it, it needs to be clear that a transformation manager is not a manager for for skills development or for procurement but a transformation manager recognizes that there is need for focus to be um, on the majority of the population that is black people so when you talk management control with your employment equity um, team you need to be finding out as a transformation manager are the Africans, Coloreds, and Indians um, represented in line with the demographics? When you talk about skills development, when you when you approach the um, learning and development team, which has got a mandate to just do training for all employees, transformation is just saying you need to be focused on the majority of the population because this is the driver for, for our economy. So the transformation yeah. manager is a specialist in making sure that um, the black people have got access to sit on the board, have got access to proper skills that the, the skills development um, team is working on. So you, you, it's a specialist skill that's required to talk to all those departments. Okay, okay could yeah. I ask a question? Sorry, could I ask a question? <laughs> yeah. If um, we have an HR manager who is an MBA, does that qualify them to be a transformation manager as well? Uh, yes and no, uh, because remember, just because you've got an MBA doesn't mean that you are a transformation specialist. It's 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 a skill on its own. Um, it's a unique thing. You've got to understand the fundamental issues that drive. It, it's a strategic thing. So it's like I said at the beginning, it's an economic driver. So yes, having an MBA can give you like an understanding of the business but it doesn't follow that automatically you know transformation so you could have an understanding of the business but a transformation specialist or a transformation manager understands the issue of equality the issue of redress 
end that's all the agenda that's the the focus of the transformation manager working with everyone in the company okay. and and just making sure that the company is not um broke its budget is not broken but there is like focus <laughs> on the majority of um the south african being given access to to all the different um elements of the school yeah so i think i think you know when you look at it i think we're always going to debate around who should be sitting around the boardroom table and i think that is going to be completely dependent on the size of the organization the structure of the organization and how each organization looks to drive those strategies i think what we are in agreement though on is that one there needs to be a strategy two it needs to be owned by somebody um and three we need to have a voice at the boardroom table so i think as much as we can debate who that is and where that sits i think we're in agreement of those three things um if we're comfortable with that i think the important thing is just we we understand that it cannot be haphazard it needs to be a focused approach somebody needs to own it um and it needs to have a clear strategy if we want to achieve both the objectives so we want to do skills development but we also want to make sure that we are being measured and and reaping the rewards of the skills development initiatives towards our um triple bwe measurement i think all of us sitting here tonight are probably comfortable with having seen this structure as part of our triple bwe measurement and scorecard and we're comfortable with the different categories and and what those mean now we're going to do a little bit of a practical activity and a case study and i'm going to ask lister to engage with us just around some of the thoughts that we had around how do we actually then apply the the different categories to a typical skills development strategy okay so that's the matrix that we that we should be familiar with comfortable with and then i just wanted to share this document with you just so that you can understand the holistic approach that we're going to be looking at what this is is a development stack pathway um it's something that that omni put together a little over a year ago when we looked at research around skills development and how do we ensure that that when we engage and consult with business that we talk to business from a career progression and ensuring that we are creating a path for individuals to be upskilled so very much aligning to the career progression if you think about the skills development act as well as the triple b double e act so what the development path does is it creates a learning journey from a potentially unemployed individual sitting on the top um to how does a learner typically progress from a level 3 level 4 level 5 this specific development stack is for leadership and and management and then you'll note that in between we have very specific learning programs and those learning programs address some of the skills that we would assume to be seen in our qualifications on our um nqf framework but sometimes is lacking or missing which more focuses on some of the soft skills and then we also have a future skills focus which looks at some of the skills that we believe from our research is the skills that we're going to need for the future world of work so now lister i'm going to ask you just to help us here with this case study you still there lister okay yeah. lovely so i want to do um sort of give you a little bit of a case study scenario and then you can unpack it for us and share with us 
how are organizations best able to benefit from this sort of career mapping uh, or development path? Okay. So I've taken, we've taken a snippet out of the full document and the case study goes, if I was engaging with an organization that was wanting to do 20 learners that were going to complete the national certificate management at an NKF level three, and we wanted to put some future soft skills um, with that learning because we believe that there is a leadership and management from a development perspective needs the additional uh, future focused skills. And this learning here typically is going to be done through bit learning or e-learning. So are you able to help us sketch how would an organization typically be able to make use of this sort of development path um, in line with the measurements on the scorecard? So, I'm sure I mean, you have some more questions. <laughs> yeah, I think for me the first question is the this this uh, snippet of um, the program is mm. it designed for employed or unemployed learners? Like mm. who is the, who are the target uh, population? Lovely. So from a career progression perspective, it could be for employed or unemployed. But in this case, I'm going to go with the fact that the learners are unemployed and that they'll be signing employment contracts for a term of one year um, on joining the learnership. Um, so before I even answer your question, I, I, I think that both the skills development teams and the transformation teams that are pro-impact would mm. love um, to see a program like this. Because, because remember, with skills development, we, we are trying to not just have people getting skills that they won't be able to use uh, there isn't much time to to actually have people going through programs and programs and still not be employable so mm -hmm. using your example here b is looking for people to get qualifications that they can use to get jobs anyway when they come into your um, organization and then you give them this NKF level three, at least they've got a SACWA or an NKF um, certificate that they can use when they exit um, your, your organization, right? Then you've, you've ticked the box. I don't like using ticking the box, but you've empowered someone by giving them a certificate. But just by someone enrolling into this program, it's, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's something that an organization can, when they go onto the learning program matrix, they can claim for the headcount of the learner, of the unemployed learner. I mean, it can be part of the category B, C, D um, learnerships. And because you've included other components into the training, like this em emotional intelligence, who knows, maybe depending on how it's um, facilitated, it could be maybe in a conference set up and people can claim points from category F and G, or if it's got um, units of standards attached to it, they can claim from a category E. So so basically the summary of the, the proposal that you are putting out, out there helps a learner to get an NQF um, qualification. It helps them to be work ready because it's not just like theory where you just go into class and then you just learn but then it comes with like all these um collaborative management people management or emotional intelligence things that 
you can't just get into the workplace if you don't have those you are almost like behind but this program gives you this emotional intelligence to deal with all the other non-technical things that you've learned from a normal NPF qualification so I, I think it's a brilliant um pick that you give um sold to, to your client it's so so skills <laughs> development and for transformation it, it's got impact to it Lovely. Now, I think what I didn't even mention here is that we'd also include a component of coaching. So whilst the learners are working in the workplace and actually applying that practical knowledge and skills, they would also have a coach that would sort of walk a journey with them over the one year period to literally embed the knowledge and skills in the workplace, but also ensure, as you've noted, work readiness. Because obviously for us, what would be important, and maybe you can talk to this a little bit, but if we looked at big picture, whilst this supports the learner in the moment and it allows the organization to claim across a multitude of those categories, I'm assuming from a bigger picture strategy perspective, we could walk a path with this learner, which means that opens up the door for one learner to follow a one, two, three, a path with an organization and be able to then benefit across other measurements on the scorecard. I couldn't agree um, any less because if they get into this uh, program the way you've uh, presented it, they can actually, if they, they, they pass, then they, they, there's a possibility that they can go to the next um, NKF level four or they'll have access to bursaries and so forth, which means companies will still be able to claim on that learning program matrix. And depending on, on, on how the progression goes, these employees will already be ready when they go to the next um, stage, which means there is a potential for absorption. So, so the way that you've um, presented this pathway, I think aligns to both skills development and the intention of, of transformation for an individual whom the company says, we value you, we want you to be um, upskilled, and then transformation then takes place. So I, I think it's in summary, it's really a good way of integrating um, skills development with the intentions of transformation, if it's done in this fashion. Lovely. Yeah, so I think that pretty much, Lister, thank you, because you've pretty much summarized it for us to say that whilst you're doing skills development, so by the way, all the aspects of triple WE are coming into play. So you've done career progression, you've done um, movability for a learner, you've created a career development pathway, you've opened the doors for absorption for career development, which means the minute you do that, you're doing economic development. So you automatically start ensuring that you've, I'm going to say ticked those measurements um, <laughs> that you're looking for. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, cool. So thank you for that, Lister. So I'm going to ask then, but I'm going to ask Tuli if you'll just give us some of your thoughts and um, opinions with regards to the sort of strategy and structure for skills development in an organization. I think it's absolutely brilliant, Cindy, because it it focuses on pivotal as well as non-pivotal um, uh, uh, programs, which those would obviously non-pivotal addressing soft skills um, that may be shortages um, or skills gaps within an organization. 
So yes, Pivotal, it would, like Lister mentioned, definitely be um, NQF aligned, meaning that it is an accredited um, qualification where a person would um, have a full qualification of that particular program at the end of the day, as well as emotional intelligence would, would obviously focus onto the non-Pivotal, which would be more of your soft skills um, in order to encompass the two together in order for this career progression and development of the learner. So it's absolutely brilliant. Lovely. Okay. Thank you, Julie. Um, Brendan, your thoughts around that sort of strategy? Um, I've got to say, firstly, uh, I believe that what you guys have put together here talks precisely to what Skills Development and BE has set out to achieve. Um, and taking the example of an unemployed individual placed on a learnership program like this, uh, they leave equipped with skills and a qualification that improves the prospect of employment down the road, as well as further development. However, I'd like to add, um, if we are to look at this, when we take it into an organization, I think it's paramount that we begin to examine what the organization's future workforce requirements are. So we almost don't just put a one-size-fits-all uh, solution in. It's got to be utilized as a framework that we work around to formulate an appropriate intervention uh, with the understanding that businesses have different needs uh, as one would look at the sector that they're functioning and then further understand that within that sector, their needs would differ to the needs of others in the sector. So a simple example would be if you belong to wholesale and retail, all these different retailers, there's different wholesalers, and everyone has a different requirement and need for their workforce now and in the future. Most definitely. And sorry, Brendan, if I can just add, I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, I think it goes back to understanding your business and understanding where your skills shortages are. Um, I think I'd, I'd like to reiterate in the fact that, yes, you have a plan in terms of you would, again, like to tick certain boxes within BE and certain boxes within skills. But at the end of the day, it drives back to what is your need? What gap are you trying to fill so that you can best identify which pivotal um, program to bring onto your organization? Can I, sorry, Cindy, can I just also add as something as well? If we were to look at the bigger picture, though, I think it's evident that the flow that you've given us provides for organization, organizational succession planning. Hmm, yes. So if you, it can be, it can be an intern, appropriately aligned to a strategic be goal and requirement for, for the organization. But I think the biggest thing is that this thing talks directly to skills development for both employed and hmm. unemployed individuals. Agreed. Thank yeah. you, Brendan and Julie. Appreciate. Yeah, 100%. I think it really, for us, it was around creating the pathway. But Brendan, I 100% agree with both you and Julie. It is very much need specific because you have to understand the business needs. And when Correct. you create that path, it really is about crafting a solution that is potentially um, niche or very relevant to that organization. And each one looks completely different. So we might have some of the fundamental you know, learnership components, soft skills components, face-to-face, -face, bit learning. There's a multitude of different ways that we can deliver on those solutions, but it does need to go back to addressing the skills need, but also being very specific and customized for, for that client. Absolutely agree with you. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Um, COVID-19 training. 
Um, somebody's just asking a question, is it occupational health and safety or is it normal training? Under which um, element would you put that? We can, if we can ask you just to answer that one. I just think it's a very relevant one. So I would hate you to answer a hundred questions tonight because that's not the intent. But I think that's a relevant one for most of us sitting here tonight. Every organization has suddenly had to do COVID training. So maybe you can just help us as to where you would place that. So um, oh, the, oh, the guiding principles on, on, on whether training is relevant or not sits on the learning program matrix. So the COVID training, like you said, the occupational health and, and, and safety related training, in my mind, I would assume that highest probability is that it's, it's done in-house. Um, it's not like there's any pre-accredited training for that's COVID-related. So it's probably going to sit under category G. You, the B scorecard allows um, anyone to claim anything and everything, provided that it was training for Black people and it's um, part of the, of the learning program matrix. I mean, with other training initiatives, you get more recognition than the other. But in summary, it's something that you can claim as long as you've trained your employees. But uh, chances are you'll be claiming it under the category G in-house training. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Lisa. I think that probably answers the question for many organizations sitting here tonight because that's just a, a hot topic at the moment. But I'm going to ask Tuli, Brendan and Lister to give us their closing statements. So literally like a, a 30 second, what, is, what would you like the audience to take away with them tonight? What is the key point that you would want individuals to walk away with tonight? Tuli, we'll start with you. <laughs> I think from a learning and development perspective, um, you need to be passion driven. You can't be in learning and development and, and not have love for your work and not have love for what learning and development is all about. Because you are, you are in a sector where you are entrusted with the organization's development. So if you're not going to push boundaries, if you're not going to push individuals um, within the organization itself, then then you're not learning and developing that that's my personal opinion that's my personal view and i think for me being in the organization i am in it had it it was so it was paramount to receive executive support and to receive executive um uh, uh, understanding of what it is that i was i was doing and i was coming in to do so again it it, it just boils down to sit your executives down make them understand let them know what development or learning and development is all about so that it simplifies your job. And that's exactly what I did within my organization. And hence I get the amount of support that I do. Lovely. Thanks, Julie. That's fabulous. Thank you. Brendan, your last minute thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's vital that all role players in an organization are on the same page when engaging skills development and triple DE. Uh, aspirations need to be towards a common goal and all interventions undertaken for the right reasons. The success of our economy is heavily dependent on the success of skills development and triple BE. But most importantly, it needs to be done correctly and sincerely with appropriate measurables to show the impact of both when engaged in organizations. 
Lovely. Thank you, Brendan. And Lister, your thoughts? Uh, I share the same sentiments as Brendan. I think the the closing remarks for me are that um, skills development and transformation teams need to be friends because they have a responsibility to develop the biggest assets in the organization, the assets that are required to develop the economy. So there's really need for collaboration and communication. Whoever amongst the two has got the seat at the boardroom table needs to have communicated with the other one because they have a duty to transform um, the nation. They should always work together. That's just, um, those are my concluding remarks. Lovely, thank you so much, Lister. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for being our panelists tonight. Guys, thank you very much for joining me tonight. <laughs> I appreciate it. I trust that you've all been able to share your, your comments and opinions freely. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, thank you for the thank you for the discussion and thank you for for allowing it to flow the way it did. So much appreciated. Omni HR Consulting, a private college which provides business and people development solutions through training and consulting services.